Reading now from the Gospel according to Luke in the 12th chapter. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our hymnal is bereft of any hymns based on what I've just read. We don't sing about our inability to interpret the present time. We don't celebrate that Jesus' presence brings familial division. That would be a tough hymn to compose. Oh, for a thousand families to divide, I've come to you. They'll never survive my calling. The question is, will you? We don't sing that. That's not how we want our religion. We, like the people that Jesus spoke to, idealize family. We have high expectations for our families and are crushed when they're not met. We feel empathy for our broken families, sadness when... Families are estranged from one another, worry about what will come from family disputes. No one wants a divided family, we're convinced, including Jesus. And yet, here is Jesus, one we'd expect to be a family values kind of guy, one who would focus on the family and his teachings and his preaching. And instead, he speaks of familial division, of rifts that tear families apart, of realities that no hymn writer wants to touch. Just thinking about family tension causes us stress. Stress. I hear that word all the time. I must have been feeling stressed a few months ago when I was selecting the scripture passage for today. The word jumped off the page. Jesus was stressed. I had never noticed that before. I was stressed before my hike on the Appalachian Trail last weekend. Yes, I was really up there. And no, I didn't see any governors. I came off the trail feeling rather stress-free and thought maybe I should reconsider the topic for today. Sally corrected me. You may be feeling relaxed, she said. 
But let me tell you, there's some teachers who are trying to get their classrooms ready, who are working constantly to prepare for the first day of school. Some of us have children who are trying to get ready for school too. So, yeah, feeling stress, I ventured. Apparently there's still some stress in the world. On our hike, we came across a sign that's now my computer's home screen. It was the image in Friday's Words from Will email, if any of you saw that. It's this wooden sign with the letters A-T on the top and then the letters N with an arrow going one direction, S with the arrow going the other direction. Appalachian Trail, north that way, south that way. We thought about how great life would be if it were that simple. If all the choice was, was do we go that way or, or do we go that way? And then we go and enjoy the direction we were supposed to go. The answer could be so obvious to us, so straightforward, so simple. We just go and enjoy. Stress is the opposite of that. We stress because the decision is not always obvious. Or when it is, it's not always enjoyable. Jesus was stressed because of the obvious place his path was leading I've been so interested that Jesus was stressed. I did a little word study on that word. It's what Bible nerds do when you come across a word that's unusual. You check it out. The derivation of the word that we have translated in our Bible, stress, includes a sense of preoccupation. Some sense that that stress preoccupies you, that it consumes you, that you can't get away from it, whatever it is that's stressing you. When you're stressed, you don't go south and live in the moment of going south. When when you're stressed, you wonder, were we really supposed to go north? And what if we go south for too long and then we realize we're supposed to go north and then we can't get back, that we don't have enough energy, we don't have enough food to get back to the way we're supposed to go? You, You spend your time thinking about, was I supposed to go north and I've gone south? Or closer to home, do I have my classroom ready and, and my folders labeled with all the right students' names? Did I give my patient the right diagnosis and prescription, or should I run another test? How can I help my aging parent come to the decision that she needs to come to? Have I exposed my child to the right things, the right amount of things? Am I saving enough? Am I giving enough? Will that next bill be due before the next check comes in? Whatever your stress-filled questions, they quickly preoccupy you. Sometimes the stress is not figuring out what direction to go, but knowing the direction you must go, wondering how in the world you will do it and what will come of it. Jesus was stressed. He was consumed because he knew what would come of the direction that he must go. He knew that the path was taking him right to a fight with the religious authorities and the political authorities and then with a fight with sin and death on the cross. His stress was not whether he was going in the right direction, but what would come of him going in that direction. And I'm convinced that Jesus wasn't just stressed for himself. 
If he were, that would be justifiable enough. What Jesus was facing was awful. But Jesus also knew what was facing his followers. That they had tough decisions ahead of them. He knew that they were going to be questions. Challenges. Johnny alluded to it in Hebrews. That that families would be torn apart by those who chose Jesus. He knew that, that, that some of the questions they had before them about were what would be the faithful thing to do. What is the right thing to do in light of our faith? That sometimes those aren't easy answers. Sometimes it's not clearly before us. He knew that some of the decisions the disciples were facing weren't difficult in terms of what was right, but what was required in order to do what was right. Some of the decisions the disciples faced would necessarily lead to division. Division from others and division within themselves. Division, rightly, bothers us. That's why there are no hymns that sing about it. We're shaking our heads right now about a country that feels more divided than I can remember. We hear of painful church splits and we pray that we'll somehow avoid those. Families have junk to deal with. Work, even volunteering, can be divisive. It's all stressful. Preoccupying. Consuming. And here comes Jesus, who we expect will say, these are the seven steps toward unity. And instead he says, I've come to bring division. It's not what we want to hear. He says, I've come to bring fire, and we can't believe our ears. Fire? Division? We have enough of that. We need more unity. Healing. You're stressing us out, Jesus. Unless. Unless the fire he brings, the division he causes, is actually the source of healing. This summer I've known three different people who've had emergency appendectomies. Two within two days. Within a couple of weeks of me reading an article about how Duke University professors have figured out they think why there's an appendix in our bodies, I hear of three being cut out in a matter of weeks. Obviously the ones that were cut out were in bad shape. They needed to come out. Suppose then the patient said, You know what? I'm not into division. I like unity. My appendix and I are one, and and we intend to remain that way. I'm not going to change. Don't cut it out. But sir, you realize that that appendix could rupture and, and poison your whole body, and I can save you from that. No, we're going to stay unified. We would question that judgment. Or suppose that in our attempts to support our family to keep the stress level down, we don't like division. We say, anything goes, kids. Do whatever you like. Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Seminary, said that he went to his daughter's orientation in high school. The head of the school said proudly, 
Here we tell our students there is no such thing as a bad idea. Barnes said at first that went down pretty easily. And then I began to think about it. No bad ideas? Actually, there are some terrible ideas in telling a bunch of teenagers there are no bad ideas is one of the worst I've heard. You can imagine what all he might be thinking there, but the thrust of his article wasn't about parenting tips. He went on to say, Every brutality against humanity began as just an idea. It may cause us stress to think that Jesus is bringing fire and causing division. Most of us prefer peace to conflict. And yet Jesus was about a fuller peace, a lasting peace, a peace that has more wholeness and well-being and holiness than avoiding arguments or tension. I'm with Paul, we're to speak the truth in love, to approach those with whom we disagree with a holy patience. But Jesus did not give his life so that injustice would go unchallenged and then we die. He gave his life so that we would be inspired to fight against injustice until we die. And some days it's hard to know exactly what that means. And other days we know what it means. It's just hard to go and do it. Sometimes it'll pit family member against family member. Friend against friend. New commitment against previous commitment. Because the more we turn toward Jesus, the more we're turning away from that which is not of Jesus. That will bring stress. It will also, he assures us, bring life. And there are plenty of hymns that praise him for that. Thanks be to God. Amen.